0: We're going back to 1 Timothy, so if you want to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5, we are continuing in our study in that book today. We're going to look at verses 17 through the end of the chapter, so I'm going to read that and then we'll pray and we'll get into it together. Paul writes, he says, Let the elders who rule well be worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands nor take part in the sins of others keep yourselves pure no longer drink only water but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments the sins of some people are conspicuous going before them to judgment but the sins of others appear later so also the good works are so also good works are conspicuous and even those that are not cannot remain hidden and father i pray that you would bless your word I pray you'd help us to understand why this is important for us, why this should be a priority for us as a local church. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we probably all admit in our current circumstances, it's really easy to be frustrated with leadership. Frustrated with civic leadership, even frustrated with church leadership. It's It's a difficult time. In fact, I have to say, in my lifetime, I don't think I've ever seen such a time when there was a need for quality leadership and such an exposure of leadership's limitations and failures. It's a really tricky time to be a leader. It's a really tricky time to trust leaders. But Paul, in writing this letter to Timothy, wanting to help Timothy to kind of reestablish the churches in Ephesus, wanting to help Timothy to correct what's gone wrong, wanting to make sure that the churches in Ephesus get their priorities straight, one of the priorities he brings up is the need to honor leadership. And and this is one of those times where it's really awkward for me to do this. I thought seriously about having someone else come teach this, since I'm one of the leaders of the church. But it is what God's word says. It is what God would have us do. But honoring leadership doesn't mean maybe what you first think it means. It doesn't mean that you kind of say, oh, okay, whatever the leader says goes, or "Oh, I'll, I'll just kind of always treat them well, or as I've heard in some cultures, I'll make sure I carry the Bibles, a pastor's Bible to the pulpit. Some cultures, that's actually what happens. None of that stuff is what we're talking about. What we're talking about today is what does it look like for a healthy congregation to relate to a healthy leadership team? This is the, the thing that Paul wants to bring out. And so I'm going to give you three basic things. We're going to look at the first one, and then we're going to have some time to discuss. And then we'll look at the last two and have some more time to discuss. But the first thing I want you to see in verses 17 and 18 is that, that we are to honor leaders in their individual call. Look at verse 17. Paul says clearly, let the elders, plural, who rule well, be wither, worthy, considered worthy of double honor." So so what we're going to see here is Paul's given us different categories. When he says elders, he's talking about this, this team of mutually accountable men. If you haven't been with us for the series of 1 Timothy, then you should go back, listen to 1 Timothy 3, and see where we talked about the priority of leadership development. And one of the things that's really clear is deacons are one group of leaders in the church. Those can be men or women. Elders are another group of leaders in the church. And the Bible seems to keep those that for men. So when I say he's talking about elders here, he's talking about a a group of mutually accountable men, men who operate as peers, who love each other as peers, who hold each other accountable as brothers and make decisions together about the church. But within that group, there are different men doing different things. They have different responsibilities. So they share an authority, but they have these distinct responsibilities. The first group is those who rule well. Now, All elders collectively rule together. They all have a certain authority and responsibility that they share. But not all elders are gifted to rule well. Not everybody has the gift of organization or direct leadership. Maybe they struggle with some of that kind of stuff. Maybe it's hard for them to be organized or to delegate well. So some rule well, and there's an honor that should be given to them. Others, it says, uh, in, in verse 17... It says, there's also those, he says, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So another kind of elder uh, is, is someone who, who preaches and teaches. That's their main role. Now, all elders, as we saw way back in chapter 3, need to be apt to teach. They have to be able to explain truth to the people that they serve. But not everyone has the same giftedness to do pulpit ministry, to, to, to do this kind of ministry. And so what Paul's saying here is, listen, there's a shared authority, but they have distinct responsibilities, and we need to honor that. We don't want to put on a group of leaders that they all should be the same. I mean, how bad would Servants Church be if all the leaders were like me? It would be pretty bad. We need a variety. We need people with different giftings, but all that same calling to be elders, Now this this is how the body works anyway. The whole family of God works this way anyway, right? Not just elders, all of us. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There's a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all for everyone. So in the same way that we need to honor the whole church family, the whole body of Christ, we also in that same way need to honor leadership. They have different giftings. And we, we don't want people to be focusing on things they're not gifted at. So, so this is what Paul brings up. Now, it's interesting because he uses this phrase in verse 17 of let them be worthy of double honor, specifically those who do these certain things. And when he talks about honor, it's, it's clear in this context that it's meaning in one way financial uh, support. We know that because if we talked earlier that, that, that Paul talks about honoring widows, and the context of honoring widows was clearly financial support. Make sure that the widows have what they need financially. So in one part, this is about making sure that uh, that those who labor, especially in, in, in preaching and teaching, have the financial support if it's appropriate. There's not doesn't mean we have to do that, but it's, a, it's appropriate to do that. Now, some people take this, and you might have heard some of these guys if you watch any Religious television, which I don't advise that you watch any religious television. But if you do, you may have heard these guys say, the Bible says an elder's worth worthy of double honor. That means he should get paid double, but everyone else gets paid. That's nonsense. Absolutely nonsense. Double honor here is a reference of, they should be given the respect that's due to the position, as well as the financial help if it's needed. This is the point that he's making. Now this is important because... The idea here is that he's, he's wanting uh, the, the people who are reading this, he's wanting Timothy who's reading this and who this, who the Ephesians who would hear this, to, to recognize that this is for their good that God sets this up. It's for their benefit. Interesting, he, he quotes a couple scriptures. One, he quotes Deuteronomy 25, uh, verse 4, when he says, you shall not muzzle the ox. And Paul uses that same quote in 1 Corinthians 9 to make the same point. But also, when he says... Yeah, uh, in verse eighteen, the labor de- deserves his wages. Interesting, he says. The scripture says, quotes the Deuteronomy twenty five, and then also says, "And labor deserves his wages." That's actually a quote from Jesus. Which, kind of as a side note, this is one of the earliest times that uh, they're referencing a gospel as scripture. So Paul's referencing a gospel as scripture, which is interesting. But the point is this: the point is when it comes to honoring. Uh, elders with respect and with the, the, the finances that are needed as the church grows, that's meant to, do, to be really practical. I mean, that, that's where the quote comes from from Deuteronomy 25, uh, don't muzzle the ox. Do you know what happens if you don't let an ox feed when it's trading out grain? It gets tired and it doesn't do the job it's meant to do. It's wise. A fed ox is more productive. Now, no comments about me looking like an ox, Please. A fed ox is more productive. That's the point. This is what's supposed to happen. If you, if you take care of the leadership, if you make sure that they can focus on leading, they don't have to work another job as the church gets big enough to do that. Well, then it's better for the church. But it's also just biblical. Jesus commanded this. We just saw, right, that reference to this verse in Luke chapter 10. Listen. Luke, Luke, or Jesus says when, when he's sending out the disciples to preach, he says, when you go out to preach, remain in the same house, and there's the place you go to preach. Eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go to house to house. So Jesus is both saying there, look, it's right for you to have, uh, receive your material needs met by those you preach to, but it's also right that you don't go, oh, this house gives me only this much. I'm going to go preach at that house because they give me more. That's, that's also wrong. The point is, that as, we, as we honor leaders in their individual calling, what's happening is we're making sure that the church gets its needs met. It's an important thing to do. Listen, this is what the Bible says, okay? In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes this, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Ready? Listen, here's the gifts that Jesus gave to us, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. And their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Now, I know you wouldn't have ever guessed this, but I'm actually God's gift to you. Yes, you can laugh at that because it kind of sounds a bit ridiculous, doesn't it? But it, it is true in one sense, that God blesses His people by raising up uh, leaders to lead them, to serve them, to feed them. Now now here's the thing that is important for us to recognize. The way we honor will reflect the priorities of our church. In other words, the church does gather finances. We encourage people to worship financially. What the church does with those finances will will show, will demonstrate what that church thinks the priority is. So if if the church's priority is to equip you Believers in Jesus, so that you can serve one another. So that we collectively can do what God calls us to do. If that's the priority, that's what we need to fund. That's what we need to make sure it happens. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, we're going to pause for about five minutes and we're going to have a discussion. Now, for some of you, if you don't have much church experience, this might feel a little bit weird. And that's okay. Maybe, maybe if you don't have much church experiences. Much church experience, you can make this into not so much what you've experienced, but what would you expect to experience from a church leadership. So here's the questions that I want you guys to discuss in your groups, okay? In what ways has church leadership, either here at Servants or elsewhere, positively or negatively impacted your relationship with God? Now, there was some really good feedback. Um, one, of the, one of the brothers said, we always need more teaching elders because we need to teach one another, which I thought was great. Um, another sister said um, uh, that she thought there was a good balance with both, um, but that she didn't really know who those leaders were necessarily. Like she felt like things were done, but didn't know who they were, which is cool because we're going to pray into that later on today. So, good stuff. So, I hope that was helpful. Getting back to the text in 1 Timothy chapter 5. So honoring leaders means uh, we honor them in their individual call. We recognize that not all leaders are going to do the same thing, and we shouldn't expect them to do the same thing or have the same personalities or the same giftedness, uh, just that they they share responsibility, right? But another way that we honor leaders, and maybe this is the one that really needs to be uh, kind of brought home to us, is that we honor leaders through appropriate accountability. Leaders need accountability, all right? And this is what Paul's talking about with Timothy. He wants to make sure Timothy is making sure that leaders are honored the right way. doesn't mean they can do whatever they want, but to make sure that they have the right kind of accountability. Verse 19, Paul says, Do not admit admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now this idea of two or three witnesses is a biblical standard, not just for elders, but for anyone who, who would be accused of any kind of misdeed or crime. So this is the way, this is kind of really what our legal system was based on, based on these Old Testament uh, dynamics. And so really, really, this should be the way it is for anyone. One of the, the, the sins that we get into in church, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, people coming up to you and saying, oh, did you hear about so-and-so? I heard they're doing this and that. Oh, I'm telling you this, so you can pray. <laughs> sure, you're saying this so you can pray. And we're just kind of gossiping, right? That's not appropriate for anybody, let alone the, the eldership. What Paul's saying to Timothy is Timothy, okay, your responsibility there in Ephesus is to make sure there are elders. And if there's some that are, are not doing what they should be doing, don't accept accusations unless it's by two or three witnesses. Because the thing is, someone could come and just have a beef against somebody else and be falsely accused. The problem with that is, is that when we start falsely accusing leadership, you know what happens? Nobody trusts any leadership. I mean, this is one of the dynamics that we have right now civically, isn't it? And we don't want that also in, in church life. Does that mean that we shouldn't be questioned? No, it's just the opposite. It's just the opposite. It just means that we need to make sure that, for it, that we have a, an accountability structure that protects both the pastor and the congregation, that, that both are protected, because actually there is just the pastor is part of the congregation, so he needs to be held to a standard, or they need to be held to standards, the elders do, but they also need to do in a way that the rest of the congregation is protected. What should happen? Here's what he says in verse 20. He says, uh, he says listen, those, As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Now, this doesn't mean that you can just stand up in a service and say, John, I rebuke you because of X, Y, and Z. Remember, two or three witnesses. What it means is if, if you feel like that I'm in sin or one of the other elders or leaders is in sin, you go to us as a team, you say, this is the thing that we see. This is what we're really concerned about. If it comes to pass, we would do with that leader as the same way we would do with you. Go to them in private and say, look, bro, this is what's going on. There needs to be repentance. If there's not repentance, we'd call them again with maybe some other, uh, more of a group. If there still wasn't repentance, we would publicly say, this person has to step down. Because they refuse to repent of this leadership. This is what we would do with a leader. Now, does that scare you? Does that, can you imagine if that happened to you? Well, it should scare you. Because the whole point that Paul's saying here, the reason he's bringing this up, is that there needs to be an appropriate kind of accountability that, that pr- produces a sobriety about leadership for leaders. Because as, as humiliating as it would be to get fired from being the pastor of Servants Church, it's going to be much more serious to face God if I've been a stumbling block to you guys. There should be a sobriety about those in leadership. The accountability is for that. It needs to be there. Now the scripture says in the book of Hebrews, it says, Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the examples of their faith. So the assumption is what? They should be an example to follow. Now, I just want to confess, I was repenting about this this morning. I was thinking, Lord, if people were like I am in private, would that be be good for Servants Church? And I had to repent. I wish I could say that I'm always who I'm meant to be in, in the quiet place of my heart or in my allegiance. I wish I could say I never. I always go to God with my issues. I don't go to escape in front of the television. I wish I'd say I always respond to my family in, in, uh, in gentleness, in wisdom. I wish I could say that the, I always work flout out for every hour that I'm meant to work. I'm never, ever lazy. I wish I could say that was always true but it's not. But I can say to you that that's my goal, that's my heart, that's my prayer, and I hope you're praying for me and the other leaders towards that as well. Because we are meant to to be examples. But also he says, obey your spiritual leaders, do what they say. Uh, Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Now let's talk about this obedience to leadership because this is really important. Paul's not saying that, okay, whoever are your leaders in church can tell you whatever that you need to do. So there are some churches, there are some Christian churches where before you get engaged, you, you ask your eldership if they think it's wise. That's nothing wrong with asking, but if that's the expectation, if leaders expect you to get their permission before you get engaged, something's maybe a bit off there. At the same time, there are other uh, congregations, there are other Christian churches that if a person who's professing faith in Christ gets engaged to someone who doesn't profess faith in Christ, nobody says anything. And you should also expect that a, a God leader would go and say, you know, brother, sister, we love you. Uh, we, we know it's hard to find a Christian uh, mate, but God doesn't want this for you. The scripture is really clear. This is not what God's will for us for you. So you don't want to harden your heart and go down this road. I'm sure they're a great person. But you don't want to go down this road. You should expect that to happen. There should be that kind of accountability. And if you go, hey, it's none of your business. I'm going to do what I want to do. Then you're in violation of this. Does that make sense? There shouldn't be this thing where shepherds put a heavy hand on you. Pastors have a heavy hand on you controlling your life. But there should be this thing where they set an example for you to follow, at least a trajectory for you to follow. And they call you on stuff that is un helpful for you, and you should be able to say, okay, that's in the scripture, yep, I, I need to back away from this. I need to maybe not do this. This is why the, 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 the word is elders, not elder. There needs to be a team where the people are mutually accountable to make sure that the focus stays on Jesus. People are walking according to the scriptures and not just according to their opinions. This is why it's a sobering thing to be a leader. This is why the Bible says in James chapter 3, verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. Uh, man, I'll tell you, one of the hardest things about being a Bible teacher is the fact that I preach a better gospel than I believe. This is why I constantly have to say, oh, God, help me. I want to live up to what you're showing me. It's important for us to have this. The the appropriate accountability does this. It protects the pastors and the congregations, and it produces a a sobriety among the leadership or about leadership. But also, it needs to be done in a way that promotes unity and humility. Look at verse 21. Paul says, In the presence of God, this is being really dramatic here, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules. He says, listen, this is what you need to do. And notice what he says, without prejudging and doing nothing from partiality. Now, Paul has to tell Peter, or, or um, Timothy this because Timothy is going to be the one that kind of gives the final nod to say, yeah, these are good guys to be elders in the churches in Ephesus. And so he's telling Timothy, Timothy, listen, it's really important you do this in such a way that's actually promoting unity and humility. In other words, you can't go, oh, that guy's so cool. I'd love to have him as leader of the church. Or, and this happens a lot in the church today, man, that person's so talented, let's let's exalt them. Man, go back again to 1 Timothy chapter 3. What what Paul emphasizes, what the scripture emphasizes about leadership is not their giftedness, but their character, their commitment to Christ. And so the, the thing is you can have someone who's super likable and has a great personality and is really gifted, and they're carnal. And they're not ready to lead. And they shouldn't be put in that position. But you can also have somebody who's who's maybe, maybe they're not that dynamic. Maybe they're not someone who's everybody wants to listen to. Or maybe they're not super cool or something. And yet they are faithful. And they're good at making sure things get done and people get their needs met. Those people should be honored. And if they're willing, they should be allowed to serve in leadership. Now we'll talk about in a minute how we try to make that happen at Servants Church, but, or try to provide an atmosphere that can happen at Servants Church. But let me just read this verse from Philippians quickly. Paul says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but humility. Count one another more significant than, your, than yourselves. Can you see if we would just, as Jesus followers, focus on this, that would take care of so much of the politics that we end up seeing in church? We've, we've talked about as a leadership team over the years how we marvel that servants' church is never split. Oh, yeah. Amen. We marvel because we are a bunch of weird oddballs, man. Yeah. We, <laughs> it's very true. We, we come from different backgrounds. We have, we're, we're different ethnicities different socioeconomic backgrounds, different church experiences and backgrounds. But when we come together under Jesus and want to make much of him and follow after him, he shows up and he does good things and he raises people up and we learn to, to, to be benefited from people that are from radically different backgrounds than we are. So we need to make sure that the accountability of leadership is that way. It's tricky Because what can happen is people can try to position themselves because they want to to move the church in a certain direction. It might not even be a bad direction, but it might not be a direction that continues to keep the unity that we've enjoyed. Or or maybe there's other people that just think, here's what I've heard so many times, I have to say. Not so much from leadership, but here's what I've heard so many times from people. And these people will tell me, and if they don't get a hearing from me, they'll go tell someone else on the leadership team. They'll say, oh, we love Servants Church. If only you would fill in the blank. The the, the one I hear most common is, we love Servants Church. You're just too charismatic. Or just the opposite, you're just not charismatic enough. That doesn't mean we have the balance right, by the way. I want to be clear about that. What it means is, as much as we have a strong conviction of The charismatic gifts, which if you don't know, that that means you can look it up uh, online. You can see our series called uh, The Way of the Spirit to get an idea of what we mean by that. But the reality is this. What we're most about is Jesus. We want people to know Jesus. We want people to know how to follow Jesus, how to walk with Jesus. And so we want to have a, a, a leadership team that holds each other accountable, even though they are from different backgrounds that way. So Paul's encouraging Timothy in these directions. Make sure this happens. Here's the last bit. that we need to, we, Here's how we honor leaders with patient participation. Now, now Paul here is continuing to, to, to lay it out for, for, for Timothy about being careful about uh, raising up eldership, leaders in the church, being, being cautious with this. But I'm kind of applying this to, to all of us as a congregation, not just to, Timothy, you need to know what to do, to to appoint elders. But how all of us as a congregation can learn from this. Look look at verse 22. Paul says, Do not be hasty in uh, in the laying on of hands. That's actually appointing leadership is what that means. Nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Now, Now here's what Paul wants Timothy to understand. Timothy, listen. You need to be slow about raising up leaders. You, you need to take the time that's necessary to discern if someone has the giftedness and the character and the calling to be in a certain position. Now, I have to say, this is really tricky because I've longed for a group of elders around me since we started this church. My wife and I came with our kids and started this church from nothing 16 years ago we longed for the right leaders to come up and it seemed like every time someone would be raised up god would call them off to the mission field or something which was great to send them out but it was so frustrating that they wouldn't be here with to, to come alongside and it's been a long slow process and we've had times when we've had i had a couple of guys who were elding or pastoring with me great guys one left in horrible circumstances one still with us adam is a trustee but He's just a trustee now. He's, he, can't, he doesn't have the time really to, to do the pastoral work that he maybe will get to do later on. So we kind of found ourselves back down starting again. Now we've made Mike and Elder Kennett last week we got to do that which was a joy and great to do. And we're seeing other men raised up towards that. But I'll tell you it's a hard, slow process. And so here's where you guys come in about patient participation. Listen, leaders need a daily God-given discernment so you have to give them time to discern. Now maybe you feel like God's shown you something and you've discerned something. And if they would just get what you get, well, you know, pray. Because here, here's here's my experience and here's what I think I see in Scripture as well. If God wants me to do something, he's going to make it clear to me. And here's what I've seen happen lots of times. God will show me something. I'll resist it. And then someone will come and say, I think the Lord might be saying this. And then I'm like, ooh, yeah, that's the Lord. I need to be obedient to that. Sometimes the resistance is out of fear. I'm just afraid to to move forward in something. Sometimes the resistance is out of my own carnality. I'm just as capable of being carnal and doing my own thing. But that's when to speak. But sometimes people come to me and say, I know the Lord wants us to do this. I'm like, "Um, I don't think, I haven't heard that. It might be. I'll pray about it, but I haven't heard that. And then if I pray about it and I'm not really sensing that's what God wants, they get frustrated. I'm not trying to blow people off. And when we do that as a team, we're not trying to blow people off. We're just trying to be discerning. Be patient with us. It's a big responsibility. Now, for for, uh, you kids who might be watching this with your parents, listen up, kids. This is for you. You don't understand this now, but it's really hard for your mom and dad to be your mom and dad. Not because you're bad, you're so bad, but because it's a huge responsibility and every mom and dad know they're not good enough to be your mom and dad. That's what it feels like to be a pastor. You feel like, God, these people deserve something better than this. But then the Lord says, no, I use broken vessels. The Lord uses weak people in fact, this brings us to the second thing we see in verse 23 about where you guys need to be patient. Paul puts this in, and I'll tell you what, Bible scholars and experts, like, why is this here? Why is he saying this? Does this mean we can get drunk? I mean, all kinds of stupid questions because that's what scholars do, all right? Verse 23, here's what it says. Paul says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, it's a practical thing. It could have been simply that Paul was... As using, uh, uh, Paul would often kind of dictate his messages and someone else would write the letters and then he would sign at the end that was a common practice. So it could have been just, he's like, oh yeah, and tell him to go ahead and take wine, it's not that big of a deal. And maybe he was saying this because Timothy didn't want to be a bad witness so he thought I better not drink in case it stumbles somebody and Paul's saying, man, have some wine, it's good for your tummy, it's okay. But I think it's more than that. I think what's going on here is Paul's wanting to say in this context to the, F, the Ephesians who would hear this don't forget your leaders are weak. They have limitations. They can only do so much. Again, this is why you have patient participation. There could come a time, listen, there could come a time when you who consider servants church your church home, there could come a time where you feel like God's saying this isn't where you're meant to be and you need to move on. That, that could happen. There's legitimate reasons for moving on from one church to another. That, that happens. It's okay. I hope and pray it's never because of something false, some false doctrine that we're doing, or some unchecked sin that, that hasn't been dealt with. It, it, could, it could just be that, that God's moving you on. We, you know, this happens. It's okay. But if God's called you here to Servants in Church, in spite of the, the, the weaknesses are there, in spite of the imperfections are there, God's called you to participate. And using the weaknesses of the leadership team not to participate is foolish. Can you imagine the Ephesians reading this? Oh, I can't believe Timothy's going to drink wine. Or maybe others going, well, why didn't he be drinking wine every night? He'd feel better all the time. What a loser. This is why I don't know if I can trust the elders that he picks. Hey, that kind of nonsense happens in churches, and it's wrong. It's not honoring. It doesn't help us as a family. No, leaders have limitations. Don't be surprised by that. Also, in these last two verses, verses 24 and 25, now Paul here is probably talking more about, um, hey, Timothy, here's some wisdom about picking leaders. Know these truths. But I want to apply it to us. Because this is not about just about, a, 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 this shouldn't just apply to those who are potential leaders. This should apply to everyone who says they're a Jesus follower. Listen. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment. In other words, what they're doing is bogus. It's really obvious they're bogus and everyone knows where they're headed. But the sins of others appear later. In other words, sometimes we don't know what's going on in someone's life. But also, he says, the good works are conspicuous and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. In other words, if you're doing good privately, it's going to eventually come to the top. Now, now here's what I, I think is important. Leaders value your good works. Listen, I don't know all the good stuff that you guys do. I, I honestly don't. But, but here's how I usually find out about it. What happens is I hear such and such needs help with su, 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 such and such thing. And I think, oh, man, I didn't even know that was going on. Okay, well, what should we do? And then someone will say, oh, no, don't worry. This person and this person and this family and that family, they've already taken care of all that need. You know, one of the coolest things, I'm going to brag on Servant's Church right now, okay? Sarah and I have not had to bring or not have, have not brought a meal to someone who's needed it in probably the last two or three times it's happened. Not because we don't care, but it gets filled up before we need to do it. That's awesome. Not because we don't like bringing meals to people. We like to do that as well. It's just so awesome that it just gets done. That people get their needs met. Know that people, your leaders see that and they so value that. They rejoice in that. Thank you guys for doing that. It's a great thing. Keep that patient participation. There's nothing greater, there's nothing more honoring to me as a pastor than to see the people in his church walk in truth. Walk in love. Live out what God has for them. Can you see how this is a good thing? I hope you understand. This is why we, in the past, and even now, actually, we encourage you guys to serve in teams. Hey, could you be a part of the ushers team? I'm not saying this just because we want to keep you busy. I'm saying, listen, these good works are a way, listen, they're a way you can encourage the leadership team. It's a way that you can be a healthy church. Now, I'm going to close in prayer in about maybe five, six minutes. But we're going to have another discussion, and I want you guys to be thinking about this. Again, you go watching online. Feel free to to uh, send me some texts and stuff. That's really fun. I'm liking that. Um, it's good to kind of converse with you guys. But here's what we want you to think about. Okay, think of the people that you know best. Okay, so don't, you can't judge people you don't know. You just think of the people that you know best. Okay, would you say? Uh, It's more conspicuous, or they're more conspicuous in their, I'm sorry, I I worded this really horribly, didn't I? Uh, Which would you say is more conspicuous in your life, sins or good works? Okay? So think about the people that you know best in their life and in your life. What's more conspicuous, sins or good works? Okay? What do people see better? Now, in this, I want you to remember, okay, God doesn't save us because we do good works. Let me be really, really clear here, okay, especially for you guys who are new to this or who don't yet maybe know the gospel. The Bible's really clear that God doesn't save us. We're not saved by our works, lest we can boast and say, God, look at me, I'm good enough. But we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's what Jesus has done for us that saves us. If you don't get anything else from today, get that. But he saves us Four good works. Okay? So that's that's the first thing. I want you guys to think about that, discuss that. Then once you've discussed that, take a bit of time just to thank God for a saving grace. That God forgives your sins. That God forgives not just the sins of things you've done wrong, but the good things you know you should have done and you haven't done. God forgives those sins. Jesus died for all those sins. Thank God for that that he does that. That he's that merciful. That in Christ you can be accepted today. Thank him for that. Then take time to pray for the leaders. You can pray for those guys in leadership. Yeah. You know, obviously I'm not expecting each person to pray for each person. Just who, who jumps out at you? Who, who needs prayer?